Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise his wonderful, wonderful name. Glory to God in the highest. Father, we come together this morning. We just want to honour your wonderful name. Father, we want to lift our hands and praise you, Lord, because we are in your presence and there's something special about being in your presence. Father, we thank you that your heart is a heart for blessing. We thank you, Lord God, that today your business is all about setting us free and releasing in us everlasting life. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. And it's a beautiful morning, absolutely fabulous morning. Our David is stuck in Melbourne. His uh, flight from Abu Dhabi was delayed, apparently. There was a toilet that wasn't working and they thought it was better to fix the toilet than to tell everyone to hold on for 14 hours. I can just imagine what it would be like. So um, he's uh, not here. He was supposed to arrive home last night, but it'll be sometime today. Pardon? No, no, he, uh, well, he could be asleep now, but you never know. And uh, Ainsley's got a bit of an infection, so she can't, uh, can't sing so well today. So uh, we've actually been enjoying music by another group of professionals, the Bethel Music Team, as we've worshipped here this morning. And uh, we're going to do communion last today. I want to speak a little bit first, and then we'll do communion towards the end of our service. And today's a little bit different in another respect. We're not, I'm not using um, slides today, but instead I have a handout for you. So Jeanette, you might be kind enough to um, hand these out. We've got one for everybody. And our, our topic this morning is actually above the line. The last couple of weeks we've been a little bit theological. We've gone into some fairly deep um, theological concepts. So I want to lighten it up a little bit today. And actually what we're really talking about is thinking positively according to the word of God. And uh, this little graphic was one I actually came across in a school magazine that I was reading uh, last week. As some of you know, I'm on the board of uh, City Point Christian College and there's a little magazine that the college produces on a fairly regular basis. And this uh, diagram uh, accompanied by a little article was published and I thought, you know, this is a great basis for sharing a message in uh, Ignite Life Sunday Connect. And it's all about above the line thinking. The idea is a Christian idea actually. It uh, comes from the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. Has anyone ever read or seen any of the Chicken Soup for the Soul books? They've been around since about 2005. There's about 16 or 17 in the series now. And they're little vignettes that are designed to encourage people. And they've now actually got um, versions of chicken soup for the soul for just about everything, uh, every type of person or occupation you can imagine. There's one for entrepreneurs. There's one for new mums. There's one for mums who are not so new. There's one for old people. There's one for kids. You name it, there's a chicken soup for the soul. Uh, the guy who developed the series initially is a fellow by the name of Jack Cranfield. He actually runs a management consulting and leadership uh, business. Chicken Soup for the Soul itself has grown into a billion dollar organisation. Just amazing how many copies of their books have been sold. And what I like about it is the basis for the Chicken Soup series is actually the Word of God. 
And uh, I love that because in the word of God, of course, we find truth. Now, positive thinking has actually got a pretty bad name in the last probably 10 or 15 years because it's been associated with uh, new age thinking, with secular humanism. But I want to tell you that The Power of Positive Thinking was the title of a book that was published in the 1950s. And it was published by Norman Vincent Peale, who was long-term pastor at Marble Collegiate Church in, uh, in New York. Uh, he was pastor there for probably 40 years or more. He died a few years ago. But, but his book was the very first book to use in its title, Positive Thinking. And uh, it was actually a title which was recommended by his publisher. Uh, Norman Vincent Peale didn't have that title. He had a different title uh, for the book. But what the book did was to take the scripture and build around that a basis for living the victorious life. And of course, you know, Ignite Life is all about igniting your life by the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can live life to the full so that you can fulfill your destiny. And there's something about this contrast between above the line and below the line thinking that is important to us as Christians who are living our lives every day. Do you say the microphone's not on? I'm shouting anyway. How's that? Is that better? Yeah, sorry. I, uh, I, it's a bit hard. With anyway, it doesn't matter. We don't, we don't deal with excuses here. This is above the line thinking. <laughs> we don't have excuses. You'll see the word excuses is, is actually results. below the line here. Hey, we yeah, we want results. We definitely want results. <laughs> so um, I, I just want to, you know, nail a stake in the ground and claim positive thinking as a Christian idea. It's one which, is, in a sense, has been stolen by uh, the New Ages and the secular humanists. The difference between our approach to positive thinking and the approach that you find in much of the world is that our approach is actually based upon the truth that you find in God's word. So it's not a, an airy-fairy thing that's of the mind. It's something which is solidly based on the truth in the word of God. That's the big difference. And uh, Norman Vincent Peale's approach was to take only the Word of God as the basis for his encouragement to us to think positively. Now, this is never an invitation to ignore the facts. Truth and facts are often separate things in the kingdom of God. So the truth might be that you have a sickness Sorry, the fact, the fact might be that you have a sickness. No good denying that. You got a broken leg, no good denying that. But the truth is, Jesus, through the shedding of his blood and through the blows he took on his body, he has made the way to healing for us. So as Christians, we have the right, being sons of, and daughters of the living God, being siblings of Jesus, we have the right to divine health. We have the right to be victorious in every area of our lives. But God has given us a choice as to whether or not 
our thinking processes that's in the realm of the soul, God has given us a choice. We can choose to think above the line or below the line. What I thought I would do today first is to provide a general context. And if I could refer you to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. We've got a few scriptures to, um, to deal with here today. If you want to go to Philippians chapter 4, um, I'll read basically from uh, verse 4 through to verse 13. This is the Apostle Paul uh, writing to the Christians in Philippi. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known made to God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And then I'll just move quickly on to verse 12. This is Paul speaking, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And really this is an exhortation that whatever our circumstances, whatever might be the facts that we face, we can rejoice in the Lord because we have a joy in our hearts that God placed there and that no circumstance and no person can steal away from us unless we give them the right to do so. Paul, in other translations, it's, it's translated as, I have learned how to be content in plenty or in want. And this was a guy who had been stoned, he had been imprisoned, He'd had some successes, but at least in the eyes of the world, he'd had some failures as well. He'd been flogged, even though he was a Roman citizen. He'd been flogged. He'd been dealt with unjustly. But here he is. All of these things, living in times of plenty, in times of want, whatever his experience he was able to do all things through Christ who strengthened him. In whatever circumstance we might face, our Lord Jesus Christ is our strength. <clears throat> and that's worth remembering. Whatever the facts might be that we face, there is a truth. There is a truth that we have joy that is placed there by God through our acceptance of the grace of the cross. But we have to make the choice to live rejoicing regardless of our circumstances. We have to make the choice to be anxious for nothing. 
regardless of the facts that we might face. One of the things I did over the last week or so was to, to actually go through this whole little visual and attach some Bible references to the words that are there. Now, we'd be here for a long time if I went through every single word on your sheet. I just want to talk about above the line and draw some truths from Scripture in relation to above the line thinking. <clears throat> you know, above the line thinking focuses at the level of cause and we make a choice to take responsibility. Now, it's not necessarily responsibility for the facts that we face, but it's responsibility for what we choose by way of reaction. And I, I know what a difference it makes because I'm someone who years ago suffered from very serious depression and I realised through the grace of God that I actually had a choice in terms of how I responded to any particular incident or, or stimulus. I would probably have deserved the crown as the most negative person on the planet 30 years ago. <clears throat> now I think I'm probably one of the most positive and I don't even have to try because I have chosen for many, many years to think above the line. The same things that would have sent me into a fortnight of depression 30 years ago don't faze me at all anymore. And one of the reasons, of course, is that I've accepted what God has spoken to me through his word. Those of us who think above the line focus on the effect and we always look for a circumstance or a person to blame for that effect. And we actually have developed a whole society full of victims these days. Everybody is looking for someone else to blame for everything that goes wrong in their life. That's become part of our society and it's not God's intention that our society be dragged down by that kind of thinking. So let's start going through some of these words. I'm going to work from left to right more or less. So we start with this idea of acceptance. And uh, there are many scriptures that I could use. Essentially, I'm just using one scripture in relation to each of these words. The first one's acceptance. Now, acceptance is not the same thing as resignation. You know, resignation is shrug your shoulders and say, oh, well, I can't do anything about it. But acceptance, biblically speaking, is more about standing on what Jesus Christ has won for us at the cross. <coughs> you know, in Ephesians 6, of course, that's the, the famous chapter in which the armour of God is described. And in verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 6, we, we read this. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. 
Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the blessed... Oh, let me try that again. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So you see, this is a standing after you have done all. That is the kind of acceptance that the Bible talks about. It's not a, a resignation. It's not being resigned to the effect of something that's happened to you, but it's doing everything you can in faith and then standing. And I can tell you, a few years ago, in the early 2000s, from about 1999 through to 2004, Jeanette was very, very ill. And in fact, in 2004, I was pretty certain she was going to die. She was getting sicker and sicker and sicker. Uh, she was often going to bed for four or five days at a, at a stretch. She was very, very thin. But at the beginning of that year, in February 2004, God gave me the word vitality. And we prayed and stood on that word. We did all we could. We stood on that word. And we stood on that word every day. No matter what she looked like, no matter what she felt like, we stood on that word. Now, as it turned out, she changed doctors partway through the year. And uh, the doctor tested her for celiac disease. She had the, the big tests and that came back. Yes, she really is a celiac. Very easy to deal with through diet. And uh, in fact, a couple of years later, I said, Lord, could you stop making her better and better and better all the time? She's getting too cheeky and I can't keep up with her. <laughs> but, you know, there are many instances in my own life where I've had to stand and stand and stand on the word of God after I did everything I could. You, you might know that Jeanette and I were very heavily involved in establishing a Christian radio station up in Toowoomba. Um, we were associated with that for some 15 years. But uh, in the early days, you had to apply for what they called temporary radio licences to go on air. And I can remember there were a couple of occasions when Jeanette and I were actually the only ones left standing. Everyone else had got to the end of their faith. And uh, I remember on one occasion, we were waiting for a licence on a Friday. We were due to go to air at midnight on Friday night for a period of about three weeks and the licence hadn't come. But Jeanette and I, we just stood. We knew we had done everything we possibly could to satisfy the requirements of the authorities, so we just stood. At about a quarter past six that night, after office hours in Canberra, a fax came through. Yes, they still used fax in those days. A fax came through saying, here's your licence and we went on air. And there were many, many occasions during the early life of that radio station when we were standing because we'd done everything we possibly could and we simply stood believing. That's the kind of acceptance that the Bible describes. It's not just resignation. It is standing after you have done all. Let us um, look at this term victor, Romans 8, 37. Sometimes, you know, it's easy to think you're not too much of a victor. Romans 8, 37. 
in, in Romans 8, there, there's a whole uh, list through there of, of um, challenges and promises of God. And then in verse 37, it says this, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You know, if, if we go back a few verses, it's talking about what could separate us from the love of Christ. You know, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? None of these things because we are more than conquerors. We have a victory in Christ that nobody can take from us unless we give them permission to do so. We are victorious. We are more than conquerors. Neither life nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So if you're feeling the temptation to become a victim, remember you're not, you're a victor because of the love of God expressed in Jesus Christ. Let us move on now to the idea of choice and I'd like to go back to Philippians. In uh, Philippians chapter 1, this is a beautiful uh, book actually, it's not a particularly long epistle but it's a very positive epistle. Philippians 1 verse 10. This is coming to the end of uh, the prayer that Paul uh, prayed for the Christians in Philippi. Uh, verse 9 says, And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offence until the day of Jesus Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You know, we make the choice to allow our love to abound. We make the choice to live in love. We make the choice to receive God's love. The alternative is to spend our time simply making excuses. It is so easy, you know, when you fail. Um, I don't always meet deadlines in my, my work situation. I have a lot of deadlines. It's very easy to default into simply making excuses and giving 101 reasons why uh, you couldn't meet a deadline or you couldn't meet a particular standard. <coughs> but here, uh, Paul's prayer is that our love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that we may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offence till the day of Christ. Let us move on to love. And uh, I think this, this is an easy one, really. If we go to 1, 1 John, getting right towards the back of the Bible here. 1 John... Chapter 4, it's a 
chapter that talks about love. And uh, verse 18 says this, simply this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So on this particular little graphic, the opposite of, of love, thinking below the line, is fear. But you see, when we have a relationship, a daily personal relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, there's no room for fear. His love is perfect love, and it is his love that casts out all fear. I used to be very fearful when I was a kid, let me tell you. We, uh, we had an outside toilet. We lived in a little old wooden house. And uh, back then, you didn't have an inside toilet. Uh, one reason for that was there weren't the, we didn't have um, in, uh, sewage systems. So back in the old days, you just had a pan that was collected uh, every week if you happened to live in a township. And so it wasn't particularly good to have a toilet inside the house. And uh, so the toilet was outside. Now, we, we, we didn't have a pan service. The, there were some houses on the other side of our street that did. I don't know. We were just blessed, I think. <laughs> um, so, uh, so we actually had this. But I was too frightened to go to the toilet in the night. I was full of fear. And in fact, you know, I used to get right under the bed covers at night. I was so frightened. I'd, and it wouldn't matter how hot or cold it was, even in the middle of summer, I'd be perspiring like mad. And I'd just have the, all the, the blankets all over my head. Um, for some reason, I thought, well, if I can't see them, they can't see me. I, I, that's just the way it is. And always, always um, frightened of the dark. The only time I wasn't was when it was raining, so go figure. When it was raining, I was brave enough to go to the toilet in the night. Let me tell you, I used to hang on for hours and hours and hours. I'd get so uncomfortable, believe you me. But I don't have fear anymore. I don't have the same fear. You know, I had fear of travel. Yet I've travelled all over the world in the last 20 years on my own for business. All over the world. I've done business deals all over the world for my university because I know the love that God has for me. And I can remember the first time I sat on an aeroplane, the very first business trip I did for my university, I got that panic, that, that sense of panic. And suddenly I thought, you know, God would not have put me on this plane just to abandon me. And from that moment I had no issues with fear when I travelled because I simply trusted in him. Perfect love casts out all fear. Let us have a look at the word results there. I want to take you to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 5 and verse 5. Now this is about, remember the um, Simon Peter, the fisherman, and uh, Jesus instructs him to let down his net. So in, in chapter 5, well, I'll, just go, I'll just go back a few verses. Chapter 5, 
verse 5 is the main, the main verse. But, um, you know, Jesus is speaking to the people. He gets in a boat. He takes it out into the, into the water. And from there, he ministers to people. And then when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Verse 5, but Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. This is the important bit. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. You know, he had a moment of revelation there. That initially, he's saying, and, and you know, I hear this all the time. We've already been out fishing and we didn't catch anything. How often do you hear in your workplace, oh, we tried that 27 and a half years ago and it didn't work? Or, that'll never work. Or, no, 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 the regulatory authorities wouldn't allow that. Or, the boss will never say yes. But, you know, this guy started to focus on results in the future, not experience from the past, and said, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And we know what the result was. He probably should have let down more than one net because Jesus did say, let down your nets. But the result was an overfull net and they could probably have caught even more. But you see, his focus shifted from the past and on to results for the future. And many of us involved in business should perhaps remember that. That's the second time excuses appears below the line. If you have a look at the line from results above the line down to uh, excuses below the line, you'll see that there's a little blue uh, box to the left which also has excuses in it. All right, let us look at solution. And for solution, I want to take you to Nehemiah. We're certainly having quite an excursion through the Word of God today, aren't we? Nehemiah. I had to practice finding all these scriptures in my Bible early this morning because I thought I, I, I'm going to spend a lot of time flicking through the Bible, aren't I? And I didn't want to put yellow stickers everywhere because that's a bit wussy, really. Like the pastor should pastor should know where to find every scripture, don't you reckon? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm getting better. All right. Now in the book of Nehemiah, remember that Nehemiah led the people of Israel to, to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. But as you might recall, there was some opposition. There was some opposition. Now, uh, Nehemiah could have seen that as an insurmountable problem, right? That's below-the-line thinking. And in fact, he could have seen it as such a big problem that he'd give up rebuilding the wall altogether. But instead, he found a solution. And this is what it was. I'm reading from verse uh, 15. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought that plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was, from that time on, that half of my servants worked at wall construction, while the other half held spears, 
shields, bows and war armour and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other they held a weapon. So there was a solution. The solution was that there, sorry, the problem was that there was opposition. There was a lot of opposition actually. But Nehemiah didn't shut down the construction work. Instead, he organised defences. So he found a solution. Above the line thinking always focuses on the solution and not the problem. It won't take you too long to figure out the problem mostly. What you need to focus on is the solution. And solutions require action too. So I want to take you to Genesis chapter 41. And uh, this is really, this is part of Joseph's story in, in Genesis. Joseph's story in Genesis. I'm just going to read from around verse uh, 48 to, uh, or 48 and 49 are the main verses here. But remember that Joseph had a, had a dream that he was able to interpret for Pharaoh. Uh, this dream was about the seven years of famine and the seven, sorry, the seven years of uh, good harvest and then the seven years of famine. He was the only person who could interpret and uh, Pharaoh at that juncture actually made him prime minister and actually delegated to him his own authority. Remember too, Joseph was only 30 years of age at this time. So we look, we read in verse uh, 48, after he'd been appointed uh, prime minister, he actually undertakes some very significant action. So he, that is Joseph, gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered much, very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. So he actually followed through. Well, in fact, it was Pharaoh who did the initial follow-through because Joseph interpreted the dream to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh decided to act by actually making Joseph his prime minister. And then Joseph decided to act by collecting grain during the years of plenty. And of course, he actually made Pharaoh very, very wealthy because at the end of the process, Pharaoh virtually owned everything in Egypt. And of course, we see also that through the action that Joseph took, the remnant of Israel was actually saved. His whole family was saved. So action is a positive response to um, problems, sorry, yeah, positive response uh, to problems. It's putting solution into practice and it's a far better option than procrastination. I do procrastinate sometimes and I remember praying to, praying to God about procrastination actually one day and uh, he said, I, I'm going to tell you how to get things done. So I'm, I'm listening 
how do you get things done, Lord? And he said, you get things done. And uh, that's very profound. If you want to get things done, you get things done. And I often remind myself of that when I've got marking that's piling up and, you know, deadlines and so on, and you feel sometimes there's so much here I just can't tackle it. You know, you have a tendency to procrastinate, but I always remember what God said to me. The way to get things done is to get things done. That is, act, act, act. Let me move on now to feedback. <laughs> move on to feedback. In uh, Numbers, the book of Numbers. Whoops, I'm in the wrong spot. Numbers. Uh, numbers 13. We need to hurry on. I don't want to keep you here for too long. Numbers 13 is about feedback. You know, this is about the spies going into the land of Canaan. And uh, they inspected the land. They brought back samples of the produce of the land. I'm just going to read verses 27 to 30 from Numbers chapter 13. So they've been out, they brought back the samples of produce and they're actually making a report now. Then they, and it's probably Caleb who led the group, told him, that is Moses, and said, we went to the land where you sent us, it truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong, the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. So he came back with feedback, explained what the land was like, a good spies report, actually. But uh, if we just go on to one more verse, verse 31, and we see that the other spies who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Now, he came back with a report. He provided feedback. They provided some interpretation here. And as we know they persuaded the whole of Israel not to go into the land of Canaan and as a result they remained in the wilderness and they died before Israel actually got into the promised land. Caleb and Joshua are the only ones who were still alive at the time that Israel finally went into the promised land. So there you go, feedback. That's much better than um, focusing on failure. The other spies were focusing on the problems and that led Israel to failure. They failed to enter into the promised land at the time God had actually ordained for them to enter the promised land. Well, let me move on now to clarity. Matthew... Matthew 4, 4. Matthew 
Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. I love this one. This is when the devil was tempting Jesus. And uh, Jesus was certainly not vague. He spoke with great clarity. When in response he simply said to, said to the devil, It is written... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. See, the, the devil was tempting Jesus and he responded directly. And people who think above the line respond directly. They respond with clarity, not with vagueness. Accountability. Deuteronomy 28 verse 1. I won't actually turn to it and read it. But Deuteronomy 28 is a chapter in which God essentially says, if you're accountable, if you follow my commandments, then all of these blessings will flow. And if you don't, then all of these curses will flow. Now we access the blessings by faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, but we're actually accountable for doing that. It's our choice. It's our choice to have or not to have faith. Let me um, turn very quickly now to hope. And I've got a couple of scriptures there. Uh, can I refer you to Psalms 130 and 131? I'll just uh, read from Psalm 130. Psalm 130 verse 7. O Israel, we can put ourselves in there. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. And God's whole purpose in the earth today is to redeem everything that he has created. In fact, Christ has already redeemed all things back to the Father, and our job is actually to enforce that redemption. So we're seeing an unfolding of redemption that's going on from the time that Jesus was on the cross until his second coming. There's hope. We have hope in this Lord who is abundant redemption. Abundant redemption. Finally, I want to talk a little bit about ownership. And uh, for ownership... It, 1 Chronicles 21 verse 17 is the verse I've chosen there. But you remember when, when David undertook a census against the express instruction of God? Do you remember that? And God actually brought disaster to Jerusalem. And now David says, wait God, I am the one who sinned. He owned up to his sin. I'm the one who undertook the census, spare the people. And of course, God did so. But he owned the sin. And of course, David was someone who sinned more than once. But ultimately, he took ownership of the sin uh, rather than denial. So, as I said, I'm not going to go through all the words below uh, the line and find um, scriptural accounts because I want to focus on above the line thinking and we are 
coming towards the end of our formal time here this morning, and I don't want to take up too much time. But I want to turn our attention now to communion. And uh, Jeanette, when you're ready, or, or Ainsley, if you just grab the emblems. I want to suggest to you that communion is actually an above-the-line phenomenon. It's an above-the-line phenomenon. It's a positive, prophetic positioning of the body of Christ. A positive, prophetic positioning of the body of Christ. Some of you were guests at our house when we did our Passover dinner. Uh, just before, it was on Good Friday, we had a Passover dinner. And uh, as part of the Passover dinner, at various points, we drank, we didn't drink wine, but we had some drink, right? Now, as it turns out, the Passover dinner that Jesus hosted was short one drink, right? I think there were seven in a normal Passover meal. In the Passover meal that Jesus hosted, there were only six. He, he never did the last. And many theologians argue, and I believe this to be true, that the last cup came when he was offered the, the vinegar as he hung on the cross. And after he drank that, that was when he said, it is finished. What we are doing right now, in a sense, is having the last cup and we are making a prophetic statement that it is finished. That what Jesus set out to accomplish as the Son of God is finished. It's absolutely, 100%, irrevocably finished. He won not only our salvation on the cross, but he made it possible for us to live lives characterised by divine health and divine prosperity. Our position is a position of divine health and divine prosperity. We're not the sick trying to get well. We're not the poor trying to get rich. We are the healed and Satan is trying to rob us of our divine health. We are the rich. Satan is trying to rob us of our divine <coughs> prosperity. When we come together and celebrate the communion or the last supper, we're making a positive prophetic statement and we're positioning ourselves in the blood of Jesus Christ. Not, not literally, of course, but metaphorically we are. So communion is a positive, prophetic positioning of us as the body of Christ. We are saying when we complete the Passover meal by taking the last cup, we are saying it is finished. And we make that as a declaration not just to ourselves, but it's a declaration that we make to the whole of the spiritual world as well. And we are saying that we affirm that when Jesus withstood 
the brokenness of body that we have divine health and divine prosperity. And as his blood was shed, we entered into this marvellous new covenant, the new covenant by which we receive from God the blessings of Deuteronomy 28 through faith in his grace. So our faith is a grace-based faith. By grace, he came down and lived as a man among men. He lived a spotless life and so was able to die for the sin of all humanity as a lamb. And when he took that last cup himself, he cried out, it is finished. So the prophetic act that we engage in this morning as we take communion is to affirm that in Christ it is finished. In Christ we are above the line thinkers. Let's eat and drink.